What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. Back in the building to talk a little Cardinals baseball. How about that World Baseball Classic championship game from Tuesday as Team Japan took the title home over Team USA 3-2. to two. Man, there were some opportunities in that game for the Cardinals guys, Goldschmidt and Arenado, especially Goldie, I think, with some runners on base to maybe make some magic happen. Couldn't get it done. And then the signature moment of the night of the tournament of the year so far in the sport of baseball was Shohei Otani facing off against Mike Trout with the game on the line. We envisioned, we hoped something like that could play out just because of the the drama factor of it all. And we got to see it. And lo and behold, Shohei Otani strikes out Mike Trout with a nice, really sharp slider off the outside portion of the plate. And that was that for the World Baseball Classic. And so Lars Newtbar, he is a champion, a gold medalist of the WBC. And now everybody gets to return to Cardinals camp and get ready for the season, which begins in short order, just about a week away by the time you're listening to this on Thursday We'll be a week away from opening day at Bush Stadium. Cardinals v. Blue Jays. Plenty of preview to do over the next week as we lead up to opening day and, and get off and running with the 162-game sprint. Eh, it's more of a marathon, right? That's what they say. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Six months of baseball coming your way on B-Shape Daily. So make sure you're subscribed on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as the two primary places to find the show. There are others as well. But those are generally the places people like to listen. Uh, YouTube is another place that I'd love to have you follow along. YouTube.com slash at bshafer12. And specific to Spotify, I said that I know when new people join as followers on Spotify because I actually have like the up-to-the-day numbers of how many followers I have on there of the podcast. And seven new people since we last had a show have followed on Spotify. So thank you to you guys. And uh, if you haven't hopped on board for Spotify yet and, and you use Spotify, like if you don't, okay, probably don't need to subscribe on there, but if you do follow B shape daily on Spotify, I would appreciate it. And fun little tidbit. I will know when you do, I'll be able to say, Hey, thanks. So appreciate you guys who have done so tonight on the show. We're going to talk some Cardinals, uh, a little bit of news with Matthew Libertor, Dakota Hudson getting sent down to the minors earlier this week. Talk about the implications of that and what it might mean for Jake Woodford. That's been kind of the talk on social media. I want to talk about the backup catcher spot because more and more we seem to be getting these rumblings that maybe there is a risk that Andrew Kisner does not make this roster. So I want to get into that a little bit. I want to make sure I'm highlighting enough one of the really good performers for the Cardinals so far this spring. There's one guy, yeah, I've mentioned his name on episodes of the show, but I haven't really dove in enough on hey, this guy really has come to camp a different player, and maybe this year we see a big jump forward from him offensively. Uh, and then I want to caution a little bit about Jordan Walker and maybe some of the struggles that he's been having lately. So that's all on the docket for today's episode of B-Shape Daily. Make sure you're subscribed once again, Spotify or Apple Podcast. Check out the YouTube, youtube.com slash at bshafer12, and give me a follow and let me know that you're here on Twitter at bshafer12. Shoot me a message, say hello. I love that kind of thing want to get to know everybody so appreciate you guys for joining me let's hop right in with the news of the two pitchers that were sent down to the minors to minor league camp earlier this week 
Matthew Libertor and Dakota Hudson. And honestly, as we get into it here, two different sets of circumstances, I think, for these two pitchers. Libertor, I don't know that he was necessarily ever a guy that had the inside track to making the roster out of camp anyway. He's definitely going to be an important part of the Cardinals' starting rotation depth if injuries should come about. But I didn't think, uh, unless you had one of those injuries in spring camp, which I'm the guy that always says, hey, you will lose a starter in camp. I'm knocking on the wooden desk here. So far, that has not happened for the Cardinals. Uh, So I'd love to be proven wrong about that. But without any injuries taking place, there is really no room for anybody to crack their way in. Uh, You're paying all your starters for the most part. They're veterans. Uh, You kind of know who the five is going to be based on those kind of uh, seniority factors and contract factors. So Libertor, there just was no opening for him uh, without an, an, an injury to one of the five. However, 10 innings in Grapefruit League play. Uh, two starts, three total games, a 1.80 earned run average, just giving up two earned runs, one homer, only one walk. To me, that is a, a an important aspect for Matthew Libertor and, and what I would qualify as a successful spring for him. One walk in 10 innings, he talked at one warm-up about wanting to be that guy that attacks, have that bulldog mentality. He learned a lot, he said, last year and the opportunities that he got in the big leagues of how important that actually is and maybe didn't fully respect it enough early on, just kind of getting his feet wet, and now it's really something he wants to be a focus for him. Whether or not that's just saying the right thing in in January, you don't really know, right? At winter warm-up, everybody's wanting to sound good and say the right things. But I would say his spring, and the, and the numbers bear that out, in that he's trying to hit the strike zone and not mess around too much. Just one walk in 10 innings, that's good. Nine strikeouts. 0.80 whip and a 206 average again. So a pretty good spring with a 1.80 ERA for Matthew Libertor. Uh, again, not always going to be against the, the best of competition when you're uh, pitching in, in Grapefruit League. You don't you, you just never know what you're going to get. I, don't, I haven't dug in enough to know kind of the quality of the hitters that he faced in those 10 innings. But I would say did his job. He's going to go down to Memphis and be one of the first guys they turn to if he's able to get off to a strong start to the AAA schedule uh, in that rotation. He did really well, just wasn't room for him. On the other side of that coin is Dakota Hudson. There was every opportunity for Hudson to make this team, and I would say coming into spring training camp, Hudson would have been a guy you'd pencil into the the opening 26-man roster on opening day. He would have been somebody you expected to be there. Maybe not in the rotation because I think he, of, of the six, there are really six guys with experience as a starter at the major league level that were coming into camp with a chance to compete. Of the six, he was the most expendable in terms of maybe you shift him to the bullpen, and that's how he begins the year. You figure somebody would get hurt, right? That's what I thought would happen. So far, so good that there hasn't been an injury that has necessitated bringing somebody else into that five. Uh, Hudson, though, I think would have gotten the first crack at it. The problem is he has not pitched well. Um, an example of a, of a guy I talked about, Libertor, in the way that he came into winter warm-up in January and, and kind of talked about the things he wanted to see in himself. Hudson had a lot of the similar things to say, and, you know, it sounded great. It sounded great there at Bush Stadium when Hudson talked about Dusty Blake having a great impact on him and changing the way he sees the game and and feels like, I'm excited to just be able to go out there and show the differences now for me. At the end of the day, as much as I like Dakota Hudson, it hasn't played out that way. The numbers are what they are at a certain point, and for certain guys – at different points in their career, spring training can take on more of a uh, of a vital role than other guys, 
you might have to look a little closer at the numbers because they're under a microscope. That has been the case, I think, this spring for Hudson. He has not passed the test, unfortunately. 6.23 ERA in 8.2 innings, uh, just three strikeouts. So he's not missing bats necessarily. Four walks in that span, so the walk rate's still a concern. Yeah, it just has not gone well. His opponent batting average against is 415. If anybody's hitting 415, they're on a Hall of Fame track, and that's what the hitters at Grapefruit League have been against Hudson so far this spring. There just was no way to, I think, find a spot for him on the roster at that point. It's unfortunate. It's been a bit of a fall from grace. He can go down to AAA Memphis and try and work on some things, namely what we heard from Ali Marmel, and it was reported, I probably saw it on Twitter, from the folks that are still down there in, in Jupiter, John Denton and others, said Ollie Marmel talked about the 89 to 90 mile per hour velocity on his fastball. That's not going to cut it at the big league level. That's something he's got to go down and and find a way to recapture. Hopefully it's not a physical thing, a health thing, but yeah, he's got to throw harder. And in the past he has, so that's kind of number one with a bullet in terms of what Dakota Hudson should be working on down in Memphis when that season gets going for the AAA team. If he gets it back, you know, those opportunities I think will be there. He's got seniority on the roster to where uh, he'll get a crack if he looks good. But he didn't look good this spring. And I, I know a lot of people rush to judgment to say, well, why is that not the case for Adam Wainwright? Adam Wainwright, you know, he, he's not throwing mid-80s. What's going on there? I don't know what the deal is with Wainwright's velocity. I do think it needs to be closer to 88, 89, than 86 uh, in order for him to have success throughout a six-month season. But I've doubted Adam Wainwright before. It hasn't worked very well for me. I think about three years ago was the last time I did it. I said never again. So I'm coming into this year thinking that Wainwright will figure it out, and only time will tell whether he's able to do so. I'll say this. In the World Baseball Classic, he had his moments where it didn't look so great. The numbers ultimately were fine for him, more than fine. I mean, his last start that he had, a weird first inning, gave up like three infield hits, but then ended up putting the away the lineup. I believe that was the game against, I want to say Cuba, but I might be wrong. But whatever the case was, had a great game. I think he can come in and do his thing. Uh, but for Dakota Hudson, the numbers are not there. Not just the velocity numbers, but the numbers in terms of getting guys out, hitting the strike zone, not allowing a 415 opposing batting average. You know, those kinds of things. So, yes, it was a, a, a decision that had to be made. The Cardinals made it relatively early to take any drama out of it. I think it was the right move. It was the only really call that they could make, especially when you take a look at the job that Jake Woodford has done so far this spring. That's the right-handed long relief slash six-starter guy that's looking like he's going to make this roster. When I did the roster projections a few days ago, Woodford's name I don't believe was on it. I had him penciled into the rotation in AAA. I didn't have Hudson on it either, um, but I just didn't necessarily think that they were going to basically have a role for Woodford in, in the big league bullpen because in the past years when he's been good like he's only ever pitched well for the Cardinals he just has always kind of been the odd man out and not given what I would consider to be a fair shake dude deserves to be in a major league rotation somewhere is the is the honest truth even if that isn't St. Louis I thought for sure he would be a guy that could be traded in the offseason not because the Cardinals need to get rid of him but because the Cardinals aren't giving him a fair shot and it would almost be better for his career to go ahead and get entrenched into a, uh, a starting rotation somewhere but have him on a winning team as a weapon out of the bullpen, and then the guy that would, would jump in, I think, to a starter's role if needed, probably before anybody from AAA, unless they just like him in the role that he establishes for himself in the bullpen, it would be Jake Woodford. 17 and two-thirds innings this spring, 
18 strikeouts, which is nice enough to be averaging a little over a strikeout per inning. Uh, five walks, which isn't out, outlandishly good, but just uh, the four earned runs allowed, and that is good for uh, a, a pretty shiny ERA, the whip of 1.02, an ERA of 2.04 in 17 and two-thirds innings. So Jake Woodford, and most recently had a great start earlier this week. I believe it was five scoreless, deserving of a spot. And uh, I hadn't seen the Ben Fred tweet from that day, but he had, had been in the media contingent that spoke with Ollie Marmel after the game, and Ollie was evidently singing his praises uh, and, and that was probably the first clue that we should have had that, okay, this is going to happen. Jake Woodford, y- y- if we're going to call it a competition, at some point you do have to reward the guys who thrive. And Woodford absolutely has, and it's been a case for multiple years where for whatever reason he just has not been able to to find favor for this roster and for a, a meaningful role on this team. Maybe that'll be different this year because you come into the year going, yeah, there are some questions about some of the guys on the right side of that bullpen. Uh, you know, Hicks has had uh, obviously electric stuff, but what's the consistency going to be? What's the health going to be? That's always sort of a question. His spring has been so-so with a 4.70 ERA uh, for Hagen. I have been very high on 1.29 ERA. He's going to be in that bullpen, um, but had the health issues last year. Gallegos, I'm very concerned about. We might be able to uh, talk a little bit more about why that is coming up. I know I mentioned it a little bit in the context of his uh, blown save for Team Mexico in the World Baseball Classic, but I just think he he might end up kind of in a, in a spot where things could snowball on him if he doesn't have a strong start to the regular season. Like there's guys on the right side, Chris Stratton. They brought him back. They made the decision to uh, value him. Hasn't had you know a good spring, five ERA, but it's kind of what he's been as a five ERA guy. They prioritize bringing him back, and so I look at a guy like Woodford who. It's not hard to imagine if he's pitching well, you might not just be looking at him as, oh, he's the the sixth starter, the guy that that is the long relief specialist in that bullpen from the right side. They could end up calling upon him by May or June to have a more significant role. I don't know if that's in the plans. Hopefully the guys who are penciled in for the seventh, eighth, ninth end up just being quality pitchers and it doesn't you don't have to look kind of far and wide to find answers at those positions. But I think Jake Woodford has has done everything possible to earn the opportunities that are coming his way, and it does seem as though he's going to be on that roster uh, next Thursday. So that's sort of the way it breaks down. Hudson for Woodford, I think, is is the direct switch that happens compared to where we would have been at the beginning of February if we were marking out in pencil what the roster might look like. Seems as though Woodford's going to be on it. Will Andrew Kisner be on it is the next topic I want to talk about because we're getting more quotations from Ali Marmel, more stories written from it. Uh, about it, I should say, down in Jupiter, about the performance this spring of Andrew Kisner, which offensively has not been good. We do not have to mince words about it. He has been, uh, you know, it's been bad. Four for 42 at the plate with just two walks, not an extra base hit to his name. That's a slash line of 095 average, a 156 on base, and an 095 slug for a 251 OPS. Not good. Uh, I get it. (laughs) I get that there'd be concern about that. And that they have said, hey, it's a competition. I was I was a little surprised, although I understand it when you look at the numbers. Andrew Kisner in the last couple of years has not been a good hitter really at the big league level. But a lot of that is like, well, inconsistent playing time. He's shown flashes. What do you think of him as a, a player down the road? I was a little surprised with how upfront the Cardinals were about we need to address the catcher position. Okay, I mean, obviously, Yadier Molina's leaving. You do have to make a move, but they were clear. We, we don't want a timeshare with Andrew Kisner. We want to find a starter. We're going to pay for one. It's going to be Wilson Contreras. It makes all the sense in the world. They needed the boost at the, the position offensively 
even with what Yachty was was helping to bring last year, it wasn't much. So totally understood all of that, but it was it was rather dismissive, I felt like, of Andrew Kisner. Now, again, his numbers, I, I could see why you dismiss him in terms of plotting out your season, but I also think he brings a lot to the team. I think he is a good handler of the pitching staff. I think he's good for the clubhouse, the personality factor. People talk a lot about Lars Newpar. Lars Newpar hasn't put together these numbers yet in 2023. Like, we expect things out of him. We expect him to match or exceed what he did last year, which was was solid for sure, especially the second half of the year. I would put Andrew Kisner in a similar bucket to Lars Newpar in terms of the personality and the vibes that he brings to the clubhouse. You can take it with a grain of salt if you want. If you think it doesn't matter, whatever. I think it does over the course of a six-month season. You want to have guys like Andrew Kisner. He keeps it light. He keeps it positive. Even when things aren't going well for him, I think that is a valuable guy to have in your clubhouse. Now, if there was another catcher in this organization that was just having an incredible spring, I would say, all right, I mean, that that's worth taking a look at. But when you look at the sample sizes here, Tress Barrera, and this is, you know, I, I have nothing negative to say about him, but he's two for 12 this spring. We're talking about 12 at-bats. Uh, he hit a double and a home run. He has taken six walks, so that's going to be something that raises the sample a little bit more. Uh, the the on-base and the slugging are driving his 944 OPS, but it's still, for me, a pretty small sample size. Uh, Kisner has gotten a ton of opportunities, and I feel like that's the Cardinals doing that to say, don't make us make this decision about your status on this team, that we want you to win this job. But at a certain point, he, he hasn't been doing it at the plate. But again, you're talking about Tres Pereira, 2 for 12 with six walks. So it's still a 167 average, but the on-base is impressive. Uh, having a couple of extra base hits, that's two more than Kisner does and far fewer opportunities. It's certainly impressive. All that being said, I don't think that's enough to talk about the opportunity cost of what it would mean to potentially move on from Andrew Kisner. Like, you're going to have to have a 40-man spot if you're going to go with Barrera for the starting job. And the reason this is getting more pub and the reason I'm talking about it even more is because articles being written, the talk from, from down in Jupiter... Uh, I believe John Denton had one today discussing, you know, is maybe Barrera the favorite to make the team as the backup catcher over Andrew Kisner? Because while Kisner does have options available, they could option him to AAA, you would then have to put Barrera on the 40-man roster. I think they're already going to be doing that with Jordan Walker. Seems clear that he's going to make this team. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe the recent struggles, which I'll talk about before we get out of here, change the calculus on that I don't think they should I think he should be on this team it's time to see what he can do but if you do add Walker that's a 40-man spot and then there's the Wilking Rodriguez thing floating around where if he doesn't make the 26-man if he doesn't make that bullpen which with Woodford in it makes it seem more difficult to find a path for Wilking to make it then you have to figure out okay does he go back to the Yankees uh is something worked out where they you know are able to keep him trade with the Yankees, financial compensation, something like that, to keep Rodriguez in the organization despite not fulfilling the Rule 5 duties. There are, you know, those possibilities. But if he were to go back to New York because he didn't, you know, Rule 5 draft, you've got to keep the guy on the roster the whole year. If the Cardinals don't want to keep him on the the 26-man roster, they can send him back. That would be a 40-man spot that would open up. And so I guess you could add another catcher to it. But uh, Ivan Herrera is already on the 40-man this would be a fourth catcher. I just don't really think that makes sense either. And so you could option Kisner, but then are you going to say, well, he, Kisner's the guy we bumped from the 40-man, we put him on waivers? That's not the answer. I Again, I don't want to see the Cardinals overreact to a bad spring. Is Kisner ever going to be a plus hitter at, at the catcher position? Maybe not. 
But I don't think he's an 095 hitter either, and I, I just think it would be a mistake, a little bit short-sighted, to pull the trigger on a move like that unless you were darn sure that the guy you were putting in his place was just uh, the better option, not only in the short term but the long term. If you're worried about the offense from the backup catcher, though, for me, I would say don't be because they fixed the catcher position by and large with a guy who rakes. That's why they got Contreras. So we don't need to overly scrutinize the spring of the backup catcher offensively. Like, I feel like that's just doing too much. I get it that you want to, you know, make the margins of the roster better. That's always the goal, incremental improvements, right? That's the phrase that Mo uses. Uh, and, and Kiz does need to hit eventually, I think, to justify his, his spot on, on the full season. But I would let him try it in April before doing, I don't know, something that I think would just be kind of goofy to say, all right, you know, we're, we're it would just, it, to me, it would be like something you do out of spite because you're just so frustrated that Kizzer's not hitting. And so we're just going to make this move to make it. That's the exact kind of thing that the Cardinals consistently talk about not doing. I think Kisner brings enough value to the team and it, without just a, bonafide obvious candidate not to diminish what Barrera has done he's had a good spring uh, but I think there's enough there to say let's just hold our horses when it comes to the backup catcher spot it's Andrew Kisner for me I'm not saying the Cardinals are going to do that I am I am espousing an opinion right now of what they should do I, I don't always just come out and say here's what I think they should do uh, but here's here here it is I think it would be a mistake to go another route other than Andrew Kisner but you know they could they could go the other route and Brera could end up being good and, and maybe giving him more of a more of an offensive threat at the plate. Who knows? I think that there's more value in the backup catcher position to just the uh, the knowledge of the familiarity that Kisner has. So I don't know. People may not agree with that. People may say no. The the Cardinals would be onto something if they're looking to get more thump out of the position. They just need it more from the lineup overall. Then that's fine. Uh, I just happen to see I, I lean Kisner's direction on that until further notice. Let's go into this, though. I want to talk about one guy who has had a really good spring, and I think it could actually mean something. I think it could translate to a good start to the season. And I think he's going to get opportunities as well. I'm talking about Nolan Gorman. 956 OPS, three home runs, 12 RBIs, and 42 at-bats in the spring for Nolan Gorman. I think this guy is going to be your everyday DH against right-handed pitching pretty much no matter what. That's going to be the way it starts out. He'll play some second base as well, but if you've got Donovan and Edmund both playing, you it, it just gets a little tougher to squeeze him in defensively. I think they will give him enough reps to keep him fresh, and he's still, to my eyes, looked fine, looked solid defensively at second. But I think his bat is going to be in the lineup a lot against right-handed pitching. And if he's performing like one of the team's best hitters, as he's done so far this spring, then I think that is significant with what it could mean for the Cardinals lineup as a whole. Like, you talk about extending the the threatening positions in the lineup. That would sure do the trick if Nolan Gorman is able to be one of those types from, I don't know, six or seven, maybe even eighth in the lineup. I don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but I am excited to see what Nolan Gorman brings, and I think it's going to be, I'm not going to say almost night and day difference because he's still striking out a bunch, has 16 strikeouts on the spring. That ties with Moises Gomez to lead the team. Uh, he has gotten a lot of opportunities, though. I mean, in 42 at-bats, so it's not to say that, you know, it's it's a new thing. He's striking out more than usual. No, but he's, like, getting his walks, seven walks in about 50 plate appearances. And the average is there. 310, he's hitting for power. He's doing exactly, I think, what you would hope to see modeled in a slash line for Nolan Gorman. You talk about a 300 average, 310 right now, it's not going to be that. I would be shocked 
If it is, he's an all-star. I mean, because he's going to take walks. They're going to have to respect his power. Has three home runs this spring, which has the slugging percentage at 548. The plate discipline and the ability to turn around the high fastball and not have that turn into, okay, I'm now thinking about this so much, I can't catch up, I can't square it up, and then I'm diving over the plate for breaking pitches, and I'm all out of sorts trying to guess. I think that's where Gorman found himself at times last year. He had some success. Again, you don't run into 14 home runs in your rookie season in you know partial playing time by accident. He knows what he's doing in the batter's box, but I think he has elevated his game mentally to really a new place this year. And physically, we've already talked about the changes that Ollie Marmel was raving about early on in camp. Feels like he is just in such a better spot. I think it could pay dividends. I mean, Nolan Gorman, I don't know what like a stat line prediction would be, but I, you talk about 260, 270 batting average, that might be even asking a little bit much. He's a good, he's a good contact hitter, though. Like, I mean, he can put the ball in play. He's going to strike out. Guys in Major League Baseball do, especially the power hitters. It is sort of what it is. But I could see him being a 260, 265 average, getting the on base up. I mean, I'm talking 340, 350 even. With the slug that I expect him to have, you're talking an 800 OPS, 820, 830. I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility when it comes to Nolan Gorman this year. Uh, home runs might have to carry it a bunch. I don't know how many doubles he's going to hit necessarily, um, but he's going to run into his fair share of home runs. And if you give me a number of at-bats, a number of plate appearances, I would say, you know, if it's 400 plate appearances, which I don't know if it's going to be, like I said, I think he's going to play a ton against righties. I think they're going to use some platoons. I think you have an advantage with a guy like Dylan Carlson, who has, by the way, had a good spring, 275 average, 906 OPS. Carlson's been very good. I don't know exactly what the splits look like on that. Um, I could find out, though, because I'm here on MLB.com. I'm not laughing at Carlson. I'm laughing at my own inability to realize that. Uh, Batting left-handed, Carlson has had a a 1030 OPS this spring, 27 at-bats. So that's presumably all against right-handed pitching. So maybe that's not really the way it's going to play out when it comes to Carlson. Like, we've kind of mentally replaced Carlson when it comes to, oh, well, Jordan Walker's going to come in. And Newpar is going to play center, and Tyler O'Neill is going to get a chance to play center, and Dylan Carlson is going to be kind of that platoon guy. Weirdly enough, right-handed batter, he's struggled against left-handed pitching so far this spring. Just 13 at bats, 652 OPS with a 154 average, has been crushing it as a lefty, which is kind of the opposite of what had happened to him. He had struggled against righties last year, which was putting him on the short side of the platoon down the stretch. If Carlson could hit right-handed pitching, He can be everything that we always thought he could be, which is a five-win player that is going to have an above-average bat, is going to play, to me, great right-field defense or above-average to to very good center-field defense, whatever they give him the opportunity to do. I think he can do it. Um, But I also could see if he does struggle similar to the way that he did last year, you could have the outfielders out there, uh, and Carlson would be one of them, where if he is hitting left-handed pitching better, He can be in there, and then that kind of fits alongside the puzzle with what Gorman does. I'm not saying Carlson would be the DH, but somebody from the outfield could then DH. I think there are going to be options. Ollie Marmol is going to have options. I hope he stays water. I hope he stays flexible and recognizes the, you know, who's hot and who needs to sort of have the opportunities. It's going to be a balancing act. I think he's well equipped, and I think this roster is well equipped to be able to make it happen in a positive way. I think Nolan Gorman is going to be a big part of it, though. That's sort of my prediction of right-handed pitching. I think he's going to mash him. 
I'm very interested to see kind of how big his role could end up getting. Uh, we know he struggled last year against lefties. That's basically been the case as well this spring. And seven strikeouts, 521 OPS, and 15 at-bats. So, yeah, not a lot against lefties. Does have one home run against lefties. But with the talent you have, there's no reason necessarily to force Gorman against left-handed pitching. I know for his long-term development, you'd like to see that because he's got to experience it to improve upon it. But think about teams like the Tampa Bay Rays and even even the likes of the Giants and the Dodgers. Like Using platoon splits to your advantage as an offense is the way to, I think, reset next level offensively because you don't have those, those bad days are harder to have when you have matchup advantages in the lineup every day against the type of pitcher that's on, on the mound against you. So I just wanted to sort of stump a little bit for Nolan Gorman to say, I think the Cardinals are going to have a big role for him, and I think he's going to end up showing that he's earned that role and, and will continue to do so. How Jordan Walker fits into all of that remains to be seen. Obviously, not on the 40-man roster yet. We have spent the majority of the spring assuming that they would bring him up and he would start the year with the team. Over the last seven days, though, a 150 batting average and a 440 OPS, and he has struggled as well against left-handed pitching uh, so far, I mean, all spring. 045 average, just one for 22 this spring for Jordan Walker against lefties. So what do you do with that information, especially knowing that Walker is a right-handed hitter? It's not like he's a lefty swinger the way Gorman is, and you'd figure that those splits would be the same. No, this is honestly a little bit surprising. Like, I don't think you can throw Jordan Walker into a platoon and say, well, yeah, it's going to make sense. He's going to handle right-handed pitching and struggle against lefties. Like, no, that shouldn't be. It should almost be, you know, the opposite of that for right-handed slugger Jordan Walker. Throughout his career, I think he's been pretty balanced, right? But this spring, he has crushed righties, 17 for 35 with a 1386 OPS. It's been night and day. Lefties have been able to figure him out pretty much exclusively. One for 22, one single, not much to speak of. And recently, like I said, a 150 average with a, an OPS below 500 over the last seven days. Does that cause the Cardinals to pause a little bit and say, maybe more seasoning is required? Or is this just one of those lulls that would happen to any hitter in a baseball season when you play long enough and you let Jordan Walker kind of work his way through that at the big league level? I don't know what they're going to do. I think I was dead certain seven days ago that he was going to be on the roster. Now I'm not, but I'm still like 90%. I'm still thinking it would be the overwhelming expectation that he would be. And you can find opportunities to get him in against any types of pitching. I think he would play pretty regularly. Um, but I could see also the side of it where the Cardinals go, this is too important to mess up. And so if we bring him up and then we find out three weeks into the season, he's not ready. You know, that's a little bit riskier of, well, we're going to have to send him back down. I think when Walker gets here, he should be here to stay. That would be that would be very ideal, right? And so is there a small part of me that wonders if maybe they go a different route out of not solely the roster convenience aspect of it because it's always going to be more convenient to not have to add somebody to the 40-man, but is that just enough to kind of push him over the edge to say, we think maybe he needs more seasoning Let's kind of give him that opportunity. He's never played in AAA, so we'll we'll have him do that. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're going to bring him. I think he'll still be on the roster. I'm not as sure about it as I was a week ago, just because, you know, the numbers and, and you can start to think about the permutations. Like, now that it's a week away, 
you could really start to think about the permutations of the roster and say, ah, this would be easier if we didn't have to do this or DFA that guy or, you know, whatever, whatever the case would be. I think there's room for him, though. I think you would be hard-pressed to find the 13 position players that don't include him, uh, especially with Paul DeYoung being on, on a likely entrant to the IL to begin the season. A lot of the other guys that are worthy or borderline worthy aren't on the 40-man, so you're going to have to add someone anyway. I think Jordan Walker should still make this team. I would like to see him have you know one more real strong day to kind of solidify that. But the, in, in the minds of the Cardinals and Ollie Marmel, he's not reactionary day-to-day. Like, Ollie Marmel is a cool customer. John Mosellock has been doing this for a long time. I think they are not going to let a few days at the end of Grapefruit League play impact the decisions. I think it's more along the lines now of like, hey, you're going to start to rest the guys and g- keep them fresh, the guys that you you are pretty sure you know are coming with you. So I think it's still an overwhelming likelihood, 90%, maybe even higher than that, that Jordan Walker's on the team. But I'm leaving a little bit of room for doubt just because if you wanted to construe it a certain way, you could say, well, this is the, the proof that he needs seasoning and we'll, we'll go ahead and approach it that way. I think he's still on the team. I think he should be, too. That's my bottom line. But that's all the topics I had for today on B-Shape Daily, talking some Cardinals baseball with you guys. It's been a blast. Let me know what else I need to be talking about. What are you wondering as a Cardinals fan right now as we sit about a week away from opening day at Bush Stadium, Thursday, March 30th, against the Toronto Blue Jays? One more quick plug for Spotify. Give B-Shape Daily a follow on Spotify. That is like... It's been kind of like my uh, my fun game each morning. I get to see if anybody new followed the show. And I'm trying to build this thing up so you guys listening, if you're enjoying it, you're able to help me do that. Uh, I will start plugging the Patreon more coming up as I'm able to put stuff on it as we get into the season. Um, but if you wanted to check it out now, it's patreon.com slash bshafer12. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show, for listening and staying involved. Appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you next time on Shafe Daily. Peace.